and welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Hello there, I'm Colin Church, the CEO of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining, and I'm excited to be introducing a new venture for us at IOM3, a brand new podcast series, IOM3 Investigates. In this series, we will take a look at issues of relevance to professionals working in materials, minerals and mining, tapping into the knowledge and expertise of our members and other experts. In this, our first episode of IOM3 Investigates, I am joined by Professor Margaret Bates, Executive Director of OnPack Recycling Label and Fellow of IOM3. Margaret has spent many years involved with different aspects of resource and waste management and was until recently Professor of Sustainable Wastes Management at the University of Northampton. Margaret, hello. Hi Colin, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, Margaret, so um, you've been dealing with different aspects of packaging for some time. Could you sort of explain your background in this area, please, so that we have a clear sight of that? I think it's probably impossible to have worked in waste and resource management pretty much at any level without having some key engagement with packaging. And I found in my role at the university, I was increasingly being asked about things from around packaging. So people were asking me what was sustainable packaging? How could they make their packaging better designed for the environment? So a lot of queries from companies and other organisations, particularly around the areas of plastic packaging and the role of packaging. I think one of the things we've seen recently is a sort of demonisation of packaging rather than an understanding of the role the packaging takes, particularly in reducing food waste. And now with the virus and the pandemic, we found that packaging has really come to the fore again. And people have actually been asking for packaging. But previously, I was finding more and more people wanting to remove their packaging, talking about packaging free environments and not thinking about the wider life cycle and carbon contexts around getting rid of packaging. Thanks. I think there's uh, quite a few things we can explore uh, as we go along there. Um, So you're now at OPRL. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what OPRL does, please? So in a way, it does what it says on the tin, the on-pack recycling label. But OPRL is the most widely recognised and acted on recycling label in the UK. We are an evidence-based label. So if you've got an OPRL label on your goods or on your shopping, then it really does mean that that thing can be recycled if that's what it says. So the evidence is based on there being collection. So people can actually get that material collected easily. There's the infrastructure to deal with it. And also there's the markets for the recycling as well. So we develop that evidence with a range of key stakeholders, including our guarantors, 
So we have guarantors from local authority areas, from materials areas, and we draw on their expertise to make sure that we have the latest thinking. We test our labels with the public, with consumers, because I thought naively that to a certain extent, a label was a label, but there's an awful lot of behavioural science around getting the right label that people will act on. And three out of four consumers recognise our label and act on it. And that's because we've checked that they understand it, they like the terminology, and they deliver on it. So we've now recently gone to a binary label, which you probably haven't seen in the shops very much yet because it only came in this year, but you will increasingly see where it's just a recycle, don't recycle label rather than the previous widely recycled, check locally, etc. You've already said a little bit about um, perhaps a bit of a recent change in attitude towards packaging um, as a result of people's experience of coronavirus and, and the issues around hygiene. Do you want to say a little bit more about where things were before perhaps um, this greater awareness of the hygiene role of packaging was? What, 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 what was the, the experience uh, around packaging for, for professionals like yourself? So previous to the pandemic, there was a big push to remove packaging. And I think in some cases, this was really hard for packaging technologists because they were asked to maintain the shelf life make sure something had the, um, the traceability so you could tell it really was what it said it would be. It had marketing information. It might have allergy information. And somehow we're expected to give that to a consumer but get rid of all the packaging. And it's, not just, it's just not viable. So what we were struggling with, I think, in the packaging industry was the difference between consumer expectations and differing consumer expectations. So I want something that's plastic free or packaging free, but I also want it to last as long as if it were in packaging and I don't want you to put any chemicals on it. So I think there's still, and there will be coming out of the virus, a big message around the role of packaging that I really don't think we've got consumers yet. And actually, that's one of the things that I think organisations like IOM3 and the Packaging Society should really be pushing that role of packaging and how we all have a role to play in it. So you'll see recently, say, for example, on Twitter, you'll see that there are things where people have put... Um, you know, you you who produce this packaging, you brand, why aren't you recycling it? Why is it ending up in the roadside? Whereas actually the key thing is that someone has done that intervention. And we need to be very careful that everyone has a role. So you can design packaging that can be reused, but that makes very little difference if someone then throws it in the street. You know, so for example, looking at the plastic bags, where they've shown that the single-use plastic bags have reduced greatly, but the average household buys 56 bags for life a year. So there's a lot of mixed messages and mixed understandings um, and contradictory things that the public want. And I think the whole sector needs to come together to communicate some of that complexity to householders, to consumers, to understand it. 
And that's where the thing we all don't want, the whole greenwashing thing comes in. So people get away with saying things which are terrible if you're in an OPRL world, like recycle ready, which actually means nothing at all. Yes, I think uh, terminology is a big and complex and difficult area. Um, And I think we'll probably talk a bit about some of the other terminologies in a moment or two. Um, so you, you you said that there's a there's there's a, an issue around the reusability of, of of packaging. You look at something like the recent um, Circular Economy Task Force Green Alliance report, fixing the system, which makes a big push towards uh, reusable packaging uh, rather than single use, whatever the material. Is that something we should be seeing more of? Is that something that offers us a way to try and combine the different? Uh, needs that you were talking about earlier? I think I think there's definitely a role for reuse. And before the pandemic, we were getting a m- much greater increase interest in reuse. And we saw supermarkets who were setting up whole, you know, unpacked systems where you could take your own containers. Um, sadly enough, I'm old enough to remember when they were all around before. And I can't remember why we stopped them. I suspect some of it was down to hygiene, but now some of those issues have been addressed. So I think we will see reuse will increase. Unfortunately, it's dropped off a lot at the moment. People have gone very single use with uh, um, concerns about the virus and contamination. But, But that's really the issue with packaging, isn't it? There isn't one answer that fits in every circumstance. And it's misleading to imply that there is. So there are some cases where reuse is great. There are some cases where plastic's great, where paper's great, where, you know, metal's great. And you can't therefore simplify it. And that's, I think, the problem that it's actually quite a complex system that people want a simple answer to. So, for example, um, sandwich packaging is one of the things that's often been debated around, you know, a combination of card or card and plastic and variety of other things. And when I was young, sorry, I know I keep saying when I was young, it seems so long ago, um, you used to go to a shop and if you bought a sandwich, you would wait while they made a sandwich that you had chosen and maybe wrap it in a piece of paper. But when I was young, there wasn't the expectation on your time so much. You know, um, you would go, you would wait, you'd sit down, have the sandwich, maybe have it in the cafe. Whereas I think in, in normal world, post-COVID world or pre-COVID world, definitely, there was much more of a habit of grabbing a sandwich and eating it at your desk or walking along. Um, It would have been prepared in advance. So therefore, the expectations on that packaging were very different. You wouldn't go into a supermarket or a high street retailer and buy a supermarket that was just wrapped in one piece of paper because it would have been made, you know, day before, and so they're just not the done thing. So we need to be very careful about balancing our expectations and making sure that if we expect the people supplying us with packaging to do things differently, that that also reflects our behaviours. How do you think we should go about designing packs uh, to be more 
more the right answer, if you like. What sort of issues, if you're a packaging designer, for example, do you need to be thinking about when you're coming up with a new pack? Um, what sort of issues do you think the big retailers and brands need to be thinking about? Well, we actually have a design tool at OPRL called PrEP, which actually runs through the number of different options. And it's things like the compatibility of polymers or whether you cover all your card in plastic or foil and how that then impacts on whether it can be recycled or not. Um, With plastics, there's a lot of things about whether it can be read by machines. So whether black plastic is NIR, near infrared detectable or not. But there's a whole host of different things. And then you've got the added complexity that still currently we don't have consistent curbside collections. So you might be putting something on the market that is recyclable or collected for recycling in many local authorities and not in others. So there's a lot of different knowledge and skills that expected from a packaging technologist. And there's a lot of different conflicting sources of information. So, for example, if I was designing a system or some packaging, I would probably in my head be thinking about what collection service I have where I live or where I work rather than what might be applicable where you live. And they might be different. And so that can add another level of complexity to it as well. Yeah, I I think it's the case, isn't it, still, that there are some local authorities in England that don't even collect um, plastic PET bottles for recycling, let alone some of the more esoteric packaging types. Yeah, exactly. It's becoming increasingly hard with the range of packaging to make decisions. And then we've got people making packaging out of new materials that maybe the recyclers or the reprocessors aren't familiar with. So we need to make sure that when people are putting new things on the market, they really do look at that end of life solution because it's not going to work if we collect it, but it can't be recycled. And that's why at OPRL, we have the three pillars of the evidence for that rather than just it can be in theory recycled. No, it needs to be recycled in practice to get the OPRL recycled label. So for those of our listeners who perhaps think that the end of the uh, story for packaging is when they put it in their their waste bin or their recycling bin. Could you just talk us through typically what might happen to to that collected material, uh, how it might get processed and turned back into something useful or, or, or indeed not? Well, I mean, one of the, one of the best closed loop um, recycling systems really is for milk bottles. So it's a nice clear plastic and you can see actually how milk bottle designs this is plastic milk bottles, obviously not glass, um, have changed so that pretty much whatever, wherever you buy your milk bottle, it's made of the same plastic. And you might have noticed that the colours in the lids have become less dense. So milk bottle plastic can be recycled back into milk bottles. Um, There's all sorts of things you can make from recycled plastic. What generally happens is it's collected from your home It goes in the back of the truck and then it goes to a recycling facility or a separation facility where the plastic's separated um, into different polymer types. There might be a stage before that as well. There's lots of different separation that goes on with plastic. And then they'll be chipped, washed, 
palletized and in some cases if it's going to food grade it will be very carefully washed and there are quite a lot of restrictions on food grade plastics to make sure that we don't contaminate or don't risk contaminating um, our food and then it can go back into making other bottles so quite often if you see a dark black plastic bottle it's had all sorts of different colors going into it because if you think about all the different colors that we produce in plastic then you can see that actually if it's a very highly colored plastic that there's not really many end solutions that can happen to it, it has to go into black and for example one of the major fizzy drinks manufacturers has changed the colour of their lemon and lime flavoured drink from being green, to indicate it was lemon and lime, to a clear bottle, which means that recycling is therefore much, much easier. But if you buy sports and energy drinks that may be um, bright colours, then the recycling options for those are a lot less. So are those are the sorts of things that go into the, the evil black plastic meat trays that we hear so much about. Yeah, and your bin liners. and But increasingly, and this is one of the things that's really nice as well about the joined up systems, what you can see is that the manufacturers are putting a higher recycled content into their plastic packaging. And there's government initiatives around this, so a tax on plastic packaging that doesn't have a high enough recycled content and something called producer responsibility where the um, responsibility might vary depending on the environmental performance so the recycled content of your plastic or your packaging. Of course there are um, other materials apart from plastic that are used in in packaging in this country and we've talked a little bit about those already. for, for metal cans and, uh, and such like aluminium and steel, the, the recycling rates on those are pretty high, aren't they? Yes. I mean, I think we've all been in a situation, but we've all been able to recycle metal for a long time. And actually, it's quite cool that, you know, you can drink something or use a can and then be buying it several weeks later. It can still go back. And they refer to metal as being infinitely recyclable. And, and glass, I suppose, is, is, is um, also in theory infinitely recyclable, but you have the same colour mix problem, don't you, as you do with, with plastic. So clear to clear is OK, but as soon as you get grey, uh, sorry, green or, or, or brown glass, it starts to become more difficult to produce uh, good quality stuff going forward. Yes. I mean, the, in, in all of these things, separation is absolutely key. Um, historically in the UK, we've mainly had a demand for clear glass, but we've mainly generated green and amber glass, the brown glass. And that's really because they come from beer and wine bottles. Obviously, in my house, it's only clear jam jars, not anything that would come in any other container. Apart from Marmite, maybe. Yes, I understand that one of the issues for the Scotch whisky uh, industry, for example, is that uh, they think that um, their customers demand clear glass as their premium brand, but uh, that's uh, harder and harder to get in uh, recycled glass. The other other issue with that is um, a lot of marketing tends to go around how that bottle looks, whatever format it may be. So... As a marketer, you want your bottle to stand on the sh- stand out on the shelf. And if you look at the rise in the variety of different gins 
that you can get now. Many of those come in different coloured glass bottles to make them stand out. And that can cause a problem for the recycling in the market as well. One area that we haven't really touched on very much just yet that I'd like to explore with you is around what people confusingly call compostable, biodegradable, bioplastics and all the rest of that. Um, I think it's true that the terminology is difficult to start off with. So perhaps you could start off by setting out what you think those different terms either could or should mean. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about whether this is in fact the solution to all of our problems of plastic. Well, the, there's another level of complexity. So it's not only whether it's compostable, it's whether it can be home composted, which about 4% of the UK actually do, whether it can be industrially composted, or whether it can go in your garden or food waste collection. So there's a lot of complexity behind that, even before you get into the, um, the definitions. So, for example, when you're looking at something that can be composted in the UK, if you're going to do that in your collection from your local authority, you're probably looking at that going in your um, garden waste bin. But then you wouldn't want bits of plastic coming back in your compost you buy from your DIY, your garden centre, would you? So that's hard as well. Um, about 80% of our food waste goes to anaerobic digestion, and that has a different microbiology. So to break down properly there, you might need an extra system. Also, in case that wasn't quite complicated enough, and you'll notice I have avoided doing the definitions, and that's because I'm not sure I can get them exactly right. And the detail is very important that we have different systems than, for example, they have in Italy, where it's quite common in Italy to have um, anaerobic digestion with a composting phase as well to ensure that proper breakdown. So it's not only about whether um, we can get better understanding of what's meant by those terms um, and clear understanding of it. And we are actually um, at OPRL, we're having discussions with people like the BBIA and industry groups around how we might work to improve some of this terminology and make clear labelling. So there's a whole host of different complexities behind that. I don't think it's going to be the answer to everything, but it might be the answer to some things. So it might be that actually the sensible thing for your food waste caddy is a bag that will break down with your food waste rather than what happens in a lot of places currently, which is that they're separated and then sent for either landfill or energy recovery. So there's a role for all different kinds of materials in all different types of packaging and expectations of packaging. I'm old enough to also remember when you used to do things like buy crisps that would go stale sometimes. I can't remember last time that I opened a bag of crisps and they were stale, but when I was younger, we used to. So packaging's got loads better. We really need to think about what's the best material for the packaging we need for the circumstances we need. And maybe one of the results of the pandemic and the lockdown, well, actually, we change our definition of what we need. But we really can't lose sight of that whole thing about 
the role of packaging in the environment and to focus on the role that packaging has in reducing food waste. So they say if food waste was a country, it would be the third biggest greenhouse gas emitter in the world. But at the same time, we've got this other issue where we see a lot of our packaging ending up in our streets, in our hedgerows and, and in our seas. And that's really not acceptable as well. When we're looking at solutions, we need to look at the whole life cycle. And that's where it's really interesting with organisations like IOM3 and the role it can have in bringing together and networking with that supply chain to make sure we do develop these sustainable solutions. And there's government initiatives around it as well. So we have the challenge around smart, sustainable plastics packaging. Um, at OPRL, we're always very keen on engaging with experts. So we have technical advisory committees, which IOM3 is represented, looking at our design tools to make sure that it reflects the absolute latest thinking and innovation in packaging as well. Because packaging innovation is happening um, day in and day out, and the designers and the retailers and the manufacturers and the brands are all trying to make more sustainable packaging and things that are better for the environment but we need to re also reflect that in our purchasing as well. So three out of four people look at and act on the OPRL recycle label. I'd be interested to see how many people look at that when they're buying the goods. So do you use, whether your packaging is recyclable or reusable as a decision-making factor when you're buying your stuff and I think probably most people don't it's only when we go to throw things away we think about it whereas we expect the designers and everybody else prior to the householder in that supply chain to think about the whole supply chain. I think that's a really interesting point there that also plays into something else that I've been certainly thinking about recently Lots more people have done much more of their shopping, both grocery and other online, because of coronavirus for obvious reasons. I'm not aware that many, if any, e-commerce sites, including the big supermarkets that do home delivery and others, give you any information about recyclability of the packaging when you're looking to make a purchase choice online. So you don't even have the option of looking at the pack because it's not in front of you. I think that as e-commerce mood grows, this is going to be another interesting question for organisations like OPRL. What is the system that you need to have if you want to get into that early decision-making point? It's, it's a very interesting point. We actually have some of the big online retailers as members who are making great strides in the recyclability of their packaging. But also we have issues currently as well that many people who were previously encouraging in-store take a bank because the risks of disease and contamination are stopping that at the moment. So, for example, I don't do online shopping, but I understand that whereas previously you might have got your online shopping specifically if you requested without bags, now it comes in bags and they won't take the bags away with you. 
with them because there's a risk that that just spreads more contamination or, or it increases the risk to people already taking quite a lot of risks as well. So it will be interesting to see how it changes, but I think we shouldn't underestimate the role of the consumer in driving that change as well. We tend to focus on it being very much at the front end rather than at the sort of end of life end. But, you know, consumers can drive change. The manufacturers, the brands, the retailers are selling stuff they think we want. If we make it clear to them that we don't want it, they will find an alternative. But at the same time, we do need to be realistic about what that alternative will be. Thank you. That's really interesting. Um, here's a bit of a curveball for you. What's your favourite kind of pack, uh, example of packaging and your least favourite? The best and worst examples of packaging. Least favourite packaging is things that doesn't need packaging. So, for example, where you see that um, someone has taken an orange and put it on a tray with some cellophane on it or a banana. Um, something like that, where it, actually the packaging is pointless. Though I have to say, I did a few years ago, I asked a load of friends this through social media. And the one that really seemed to bug everyone was scissors that are packaged in plastic that you need scissors to cut to get to. Yeah, thank you. I think my least favourite is things like shrink-wrapped coconuts, because nature didn't give them enough of a covering as it is, clearly. My final question for you then is um, you've been involved with um, professional bodies for some time in different respects. You've already mentioned some of the stuff that you've seen IOM3 doing and and supporting uh, the packaging sector and doing uh, virtual packaging clinics and so on and so forth. But for you, what do you think the the key role for professional bodies like IOM3 is in the sustainable packaging conversation? Probably one of the key things is really promoting the importance of packaging. And I think most of the other things that go on behind the scenes are doing that. So, you know, the virtual clinics are talking about the best way of getting packaging to deliver what you need it to deliver. Um, Packaging, sustainability, Um, the events showcasing expertise. I've actually been looking at some of the training that IOM3 do around packaging because I think it might be useful for some of my staff. So that to me is something that's very valuable. Um, The expertise is really useful as well. But one of the things that I think all professional bodies need to do in this, and I and IOM3 is definitely doing this with a OPRL, is share that expertise. So, for example, having IOM3 on our technical advisory committee gives us access to a whole wealth of expertise that we maybe wouldn't get otherwise. And that's really the role of professional bodies is, firstly, I like knowing that I can trust someone who's got that badge to be professional and not to be just trying to sell me something, you know, avoiding greenwashing, etc. But it's really, from my point of view at OPRL, it's really that bringing on this breadth of expertise that 
gives us access to information that we wouldn't otherwise be able to get to. And I think that's really invaluable. And also sharing that um, communication with the public. So people trust professional bodies. There's a sort of gravitas around them. So if something comes from a professional body, the public are maybe more likely to believe it or trust it than they would be if it came from a brand or a retailer. I think it's been a very interesting conversation talking about different aspects of sustainable packaging. Um, I think it's probably a topic we'll come back to, frankly, on this series of uh, IM3 Investigates, because I suspect there's rather more for us to talk about than we've managed in this short time. But it's been excellent to have you along as our first uh, podcast guest. Thank you very much indeed, Uh, Professor Margaret Bates of OPRL. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you very much. For more information about us, visit iom3.org or to keep up to date with our latest news, follow us on social media using at iom3 on Twitter and at the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining on LinkedIn. If you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved, please subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify.